Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Episode 230 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by Self-Publishing School and by FreshBooks. Get a free copy of Chandler Bolt's book, Published, when you sign up for free training on how to go from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days. Visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash published to get your free copy now. And for 30 days, you can use FreshBooks cloud accounting software absolutely free, get access to all of their features, and you don't even need a credit card to take advantage of their free trial to find out more freshbooks.com slash read to lead foundationally switch away from the competitive proposition of what do we do better and towards the collaborative proposition of what do we exist to enable the world to do better. Hi, I'm Jeff, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We call it the Read to Lead podcast, and it's based on my belief that if you really want to achieve true success in business and in your life, then you've got to be a lifelong learner. And that, of course, begins with being an intentional and consistent reader. And the Read to Lead podcast, I like to say, is not only going to help you narrow this reading list, but bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. But many say I don't help shrink their lists. I help them only to grow larger. I'm sorry for that, sort of. I think if it is growing for you more so than it was before you started listening, at least it's growing with the right books on that list in the first place. And that's essentially how I see myself as a curator for the books you need to be paying attention to. Now, one of those is a book called Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. You've heard the term competitive advantage. Well, our guest today, Paul Skinner, says that we need to put that way of thinking aside and make room for collaborative advantage. I'll ask Paul to share details about the limitations as he sees them of competitive advantage and how collaborative advantage overcomes those limitations, uh, techniques for creating collaborative advantage. Uh, some of the pitfalls to watch out for that may prevent us from realizing collaborative advantage and much, much more. Now, for one more episode, that's this episode, I've collaborated with not one, but two entities that are themselves in the business of collaboration. The first I'll tell you about is a company called FreshBooks. They've been working with small business owners just like me for over a decade, and their cloud accounting software is designed to make the accounting side of your business easy to run. I'm not a math person. I'm not an accounting person. Those are things I don't want to have to think about any more than I have to. I love that I can connect my business debit card to my FreshBooks account so that anytime I use that for business purposes, that automatically shows up as an expense inside FreshBooks. I can create invoices really quickly. They're, of course, branded 
and unique to me. I can see at any moment what money's coming in, what money's going out. Clients can pay me online, which means I get paid several days faster than I would otherwise. I mean, there's just so much to like. If, you, if you're not sure, if you want to check it out and have no obligation in doing so, then you need to take advantage of FreshBooks' free 30-day trial. You'll get access to all of FreshBooks' features so you can really get a sense for whether it's right for your business. No risk, no obligation, just a chance to try out a really great piece of software for a full business cycle and determine if it's truly right for you. To check it out right now, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead, all one word, in the how did you hear about us section. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. My friend Chandler Bolt has been collaborating over the last few years with thousands of new authors, helping people just like you realize that dream of publishing your first book. One of the greatest parts, I think, about Chandler's system is he helps walk you through a system that gets you to that point within 90 days. Think about that. Three months from today, you could be self-publishing your first book. For a little while longer, Chandler's offering some free online training when you go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. And that training includes walking you through that 90-day process from blank page to published author. Not only that, but when you register for the free training, Chandler sends you a free copy of his latest book called Published. It's got over 500 ratings and reviews on Amazon. Normally costs $15, but it's yours completely free just for signing up for the training. That's it. No obligation. Again, that web address to sign up for the free training and get the book on its way to you right now and be well on your way to publishing your first book. It's readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Paul Skinner is the founder and director of the Agency of the Future and advises clients as diverse as PwC and the UN, Sony, and Save the Children. Now, in 2014, he was awarded an honorary visiting fellowship at Edge Hill University Business School and has twice won Consultant of the Year awards from the Chartered Institute of Marketing. Paul is also the founder of Pimp My Cause, which uses cause-related challenges to enhance the capabilities of individual marketers and marketing teams and supports over 2,000 charities and social enterprises with access to pro bono marketing in the process. Uh, His latest book is called Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. I'm excited to have him. Paul, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's a a pleasure to be a, a guest on a podcast that I've enjoyed as a listener so many times. Well, thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm always excited when a guest has actually listened to the podcast before showing up. That's that's not always the case. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I know, I know for most authors, Paul, they say that the book they've just put out is a book they felt they couldn't not write about. The topic mm. was one they couldn't not write. What what was it about this topic for you, collaborative advantage, that, that drove you to, to write the book in the first place? Well, I suppose the the idea of competitive advantage uh, that I'm pushing off against uh, and the metaphor of of competition more broadly have so come to dominate our understanding of how to create success in business and, and how to drive economic development. But for 10 years or more in my own work, I've increasingly developed the conviction that these frames of reference may actually even be holding us back. Mm. And that in our sort of ever more interconnected world, 
they don't express the optimal way to maximize value creation and that an alternative in the form of collaborative advantage can help us create better outcomes for our businesses, better outcomes for our customers and, and even better outcomes for the communities that we live and work in. So 20 years after the fact, <laughs> some particular advice from a college professor still haunted me, which was he said that the difficult thing in writing a book is not the writing of the book, but the having of a book where the idea. Now, since I was pushing off against a concept, which is perhaps the most influential concept in the history of ideas about business, I clearly thought there was bookworthy potential. So exactly as you say in your question, it became increasingly frustrating that I hadn't written a book on collaborative <laughs> advantage. And so I set out to write the book that if it already existed, I would find most useful to read and mm. to explore the questions that were preoccupying me. How can businesses grow more quickly by better harnessing the fuller value creating potential of the environment in which they operate. I'm also, as you mentioned, interested in in social causes and nonprofits. So how can we better address social challenges by more strongly harnessing our collective agency? And to make the book as practical and useful as possible, what kinds of methods and techniques can leaders use to maximize the collaborative advantage they can create and to fulfill their missions. Uh, to your comment about pushing off from or away from competitive advantage, uh, I'd love you to more specifically share what you see as some of the limitations specifically of, of competitive advantage. Mm, well, well, as you suggest, I do have my own take on that. But I should point out, as, as I do in the book, that other people have criticized the concept of competitive advantage from their perspective mm. before me. So some people, for example, point out that it's too quickly a zero-sum concept, that if I'm looking to compete with you, my natural instinct is to try to offer more for less, which can lead to a race to the bottom and <laughs> take value away from both our businesses. From an ideological standpoint, some people have said that the problem with models of competitive advantage is that they've primarily been about maximizing shareholder value, which is great if you're a shareholder, but what about everybody else? And those commentators probably also point to the fact that businesses that make a positive social contribution often end up being the most profitable anyway. So that approach can be self-defeating to uh, focus too exclusively on shareholder value. Financial analysts have pointed out that the length of time that you can hold on to a competitive advantage has diminished at an ever accelerating rate since the concept was first introduced. So it may not be the long term strategy it might have once seemed. And then you have people like the authors of the um, very well known Blue Ocean strategy books that many of your listeners may be familiar mm. with, who argue, I think, really quite convincingly that the biggest disruptions likely to hit you probably don't come from your direct competitors anyway. So focusing too much on your competitor strategy may cause you to uh, be blindsided by bigger changes. Now, my particular criticism of competitive advantage is very much a practical one in that I see it as having implicit within the idea, limiting assumptions about the nature of the relationship between the business and the environment in which it operates. So the idea of competitive advantage competing to win implies that we inside the business are the value creators and that people outside the business are either there to try to capture and steal that value for themselves if they're competitors or to choose us and then to sort of 
passively receive that value uh, as customers. And I would say that that fundamentally underestimates the degree to which value creation is in fact a collective process. And since that point is so foundational, I wonder if we might take a moment to illustrate that together. Mm, sure, sure. So may I ask you, Jeff, which make of cell phone do you use? I have an iPhone. Okay, great. So uh, iPhones are marvelous devices. I use an iPhone too, and I love them. But three questions for you, and I think they may all have the same answer, <laughs> which is how long can you use an iPhone if you don't have a mains electricity supply to charge it from? How useful is an iPhone if you don't have cellular network coverage or Wi-Fi to connect to? And how much fun is an iPhone if you don't have app developers willing and able to create apps that you can use on your phone? Or for that matter, podcast creators willing and able to create podcasts that you can listen to on your iPhone. Now, my sense is probably not very. <laughs> and I might even add to that that the things that make an iPhone smart, the GPS, the internet, um, the touchscreen, were all at least partially funded with public funding when they were first created. So the iPhone is very much a tool of collective value creation. Mm. But I would go further than that. And I would say that not only is it a tool of great collective value creation when you buy it, but that you, Jeff, add tremendous value to that device through your use of the iPhone. So as a quick experiment to put that to the test, can we think what, what's the, the rough market price of the, the iPhone that you're using? Probably several hundred dollars. Easily. So let's, let's imagine uh, as a thought experiment that in 12 months from now, I turn up in the US at a business conference, a business conference where you are also participating, and I spot you and you're the only person there that I know. Now, it turns out that I've just had some misfortune and that my luggage uh, has all been lost or stolen, and I literally have nothing other than the clothes that I'm wearing. The conference is really important to me, and I want to somehow make the most of it and then sort myself out at the end of the conference. So given the choice, since I'm now very much a friend in need, if you had the choice, which would you feel more comfortable doing? Um, lending me a few hundred dollars till the end of the week that I can sort myself out and repay you so I can enjoy the conference? Or just handing me over your iPhone and doing without it for a few days and letting me have your iPhone until the end of that week? <laughs> Now, most people, I think I can, can sense, uh, would feel a lot more comfortable lending me the cash mm. than just passing over their phone. And I think that's because from the moment we start using our phone, we turn it into the home of our social connections, mm. the home of our professional networks. Um, it becomes our calendars, our secret diaries, the record of our different types of communication throughout the day with different groups. And so even more than it is a tool of collective value creation when we buy it, we further actively add to the process of value creation every time we use it. Now, my fundamental perception of the limitation of competitive advantage is that it overshadows this true collective nature of the value creation process and can cause us, therefore, to overlook possibilities and opportunities for value creation and leave on the table things that otherwise might have helped us grow our businesses more effectively. 
what about on a more uh, granular level, if that's the right term? I'm thinking of the individual employee. Is there a particular technique or techniques we can utilize day to day for creating collaborative advantage? Well, maybe I can give you a couple of techniques, uh, a small one for day to day and a big one that can really turn the fortune of an organization around. Mm. So a small one for day to day, there's a behavioral uh, economist called Paul Craven, and he attributes much of his career success to one technique of cooperation, uh, which is quite nice and that people can start implementing right away. So whenever he asks somebody to do something, I mean, if you think about it, when you ask somebody to do something, especially by email, for example, you're effectively treated their email as a to-do list that you can add to on their behalf. (laughs) So there is an element of, you know, you're dumping something on someone. Now, his technique for asking for cooperation is to begin every request with, I wonder if you can help me. Mm. Now, first of all, it's difficult to say no to that. But second of all, it sort of reframes the relationship between you and the person helping you, and it enhances their own status. So very much it gives them an incentive to help you because it is part of being that person who is capable of doing it. And I mentioned a a bigger technique, so something that is absolutely foundational in creating collaborative advantage and which many of the other techniques in the book build on is foundationally to switch away from the competitive proposition of what do we do better and towards the collaborative proposition of what do we exist to enable the world to do better. And two examples to bring that to life. Uh, Firstly, an example everyone knows, Amazon. Mm. Now, when Amazon launched the first, as it was at the beginning, online bookshop, they reinvented the notion of what a shop is. So conventionally, the competitive mode of shop is we have stuff (laughs) and our aim is to sell you our stuff. Mm. Now, Amazon replaced that with the collaborative proposition of we don't mind what you want. Our role is to enable you to best choose what meets your needs. And then it's our problem to find out how to how to how to match that need. Mm. An example people may not know is a much smaller business in the UK called the Good Guest Sleeping Bag Company. Now, if you were to enter the sleeping bag market with a conventional competition-based approach, then you might go in, for example, offering sleeping bags with a new technology of insulation that keeps them warmer. Uh, You might go in with a fabric that is more durable. But the Good Guest Sleeping Bag Company decided to innovate on the basis of what they enabled people to do rather differently with sleeping bags. So they notice that we're traveling more. We're often visiting locations just for a day or two, whether it's for work or for leisure. And if we happen to have friends in those locations, then we might ask to borrow their spare room, their spare bed, their sofa, and so on. Now, the biggest inconvenience that we create for people when we visit for just a day or two is that for just a short visit, they're required to do two sets of bed linen, (laughs) one before we arrive, and then one when we've left. Mm. So the good guess sleeping bag company has created a line of indoor sleeping bags <laughs> such that when you're visiting friends just for a day or two you can say by the way you don't need to clean any bed linen for me because I have an indoor sleeping bag that will work on your bed or sofa um, and that means there'll be no washing and setting up of the bed before and after I leave mm. um, just just for this short visit and of course I mean I don't know what the future plans of the good guest sleeping bag company are but obviously if you think about the innovation pipeline that is now available to them 
pursuing the purpose of enabling people to be good guests in people's homes, then the innovation pipeline available to them is, is rather different than you might expect from a typical sleeping bag company. That's a, that's a fascinating concept and story. I, I, I want to look more deeply into that, and, and I'm intrigued especially by uh, the comments you made. I, I wonder if you can, can help me. I wrote that down because I plan to use that in the very near future. <laughs> well, you hinted at this a moment ago. What might be some, some mistakes, Paul, or maybe pitfalls that uh, prevent us from creating collaborative advantage, whether it's as a company or as, as individuals? Hmm, that they overly dwell on their own performance and don't think enough about how what they're doing is received, is used, and so on, and mm. the customer's performance. So take, take the example of auto repair shops. Certainly, this is true in the UK. You can let me know if it's different in the States. But in the UK, auto repair shops tend to be very good at the thing they think they are in the business of doing, which is fixing and servicing cars. What they're not so good at doing is things like helping us to better maintain our own cars so that our total cost of car servicing is lower. They're not very good at offering us a ride home when we've dropped off our car for repairs. So we're effectively stranded with quite a logistical problem to solve uh, with other people to collect us, to redrop us off and so on. And they're not very good at providing a little quiet space, perhaps with Wi-Fi access, so that you can get on with working productively while you're waiting for your car to be repaired. Another example might be technology companies that, for example, develop technologies that enable workforces theoretically to perform particular tasks more efficiently, but without thinking through the human questions of how the workforce is going to find the headspace to deal with that technology or how they're going to coordinate with each other to adopt the technology collectively and so on, such that they're at the risk of creating a, a solution to a problem that actually causes the workforce a, a bigger problem and a bigger headache uh, in the process of, of solving that smaller problem. So I think these are, are the typical mistakes that hold us back from creating collaborative advantage. Well, it, it seems as if sharing the message of collaborative advantage, Paul, is, is, is more than just a, a job for you. Are there any personal reasons you're willing to share that have, have driven you to developing the concept? Yeah, I, th I think you're onto something with that. I mean, of course, collaborative advantage is primarily the outcome of my professional activities and the, the, the greatest professional contribution that, that I'm able to make. But I do have reasons for feeling a, a strong degree of personal and maybe even spiritual alignment with the concept. Mm. When I was six years old, my father had one of the early pioneering heart transplant operations. Now, that was made possible, of course, by innumerable acts of cooperation, but essential among them was an individual life-saving act of peer-to-peer -peer cooperation well before we had access to the internet or social media or anything like the sharing economy existed mm. in the form of a motorcyclist who was thoughtful enough to carry a donor card, which is our equivalent to being on the Orga Donor Registry in the United States. And so that individual act of peer-to-peer -peer cooperation effectively gave me a, a dad for 36 years instead of six years. Mm. And so that sort of individual life-changing instance of cooperation has perhaps sort of stayed with me and helped me more keenly appreciate the degree to which our culture, our society, and also our businesses are 
are at their best when driven by cooperation enabling ideas. I also meditate on it on a daily basis in in the morning before starting work. And it it may be that a a more unified state of awareness to start the day gives rise to the desire to create more unifying approaches um, through my work activities during the day. And I think it's also a great source of happiness. I mean, one way of measuring happiness is to see when you step back from your activities, whether they add up to a meaningful whole for you. And certainly the idea of collaborative advantage is something that gives me a sense of meaningful wholeness to my work. Um, And perhaps more importantly, if people use the book to create their own versions of collaborative advantage to fulfill their own aspirations in their own organisations, hopefully it will also be something that as well as helping them unlock much greater levels of organisational success, would also help them create something meaningful to be working for in the first place. Uh, Similar to your story, I'm thankful that I was able to have my dad, fortunately, for 52 years instead of 42 years because he went through a very similar situation, not a transplant, but triple bypass that extended his life by a decade. So so I I identify with that uh, tremendously. Um, I have a couple of questions, Paul, I want to ask you not directly related to the book. Before I do that, is there anything else you want to make sure we we walk away with? Um, Well, obviously, the book is about collaborative advantage. It's also the product of collaborative advantage in that I'm exceedingly grateful to all of the people, projects and organizations that I've been involved with in the last years and that have provided the example and insights that I cover in the book. But more importantly than that, it's a tool for creating collaborative advantage. Mm. Um, I, I particularly appreciate that the theme of the podcast isn't reading, it's intentional reading. Mm. Um, and I'm very much writing for a reader who is active. And what I write in the book is, is actually less important than what a reader gets out of the book. And so the whole book is designed to enable the reader to create Create your own version of collaborative advantage that helps you fulfill your own aspirations in the particular context that you're operating in. So it has at the heart of the book a framework and a complete strategic audit process that can help you to systematically grow the value of any business, increase the impact of any nonprofit, or build a bigger solution to any problem that your organization faces by better harnessing the value-creating potential of people outside as well as inside the business. Mm. Well, I want to move to asking you about books that have had an impact on you, Paul. Share, if you would, uh, a couple, maybe three, depending on how many you've read recently that have had an impact on you. And share, if you can, maybe how or why they impacted you as they did. Hmm. Well, one book that impacted me in the writing of Collaborative Advantage was Walter Keechel III's book, The Lords of Strategy by Harvard Business Press. Hmm. So he's essentially written a history of strategic consulting. And what I learned from him is the degree to which the history of thinking of strategy as a thing in business, the history of strategic advisory services, and the history of competitive advantage are essentially three aspects of the same story. Um, And he had a throwaway line that really impacted me at the end of the book. So at the end of this work of history, he says, well, that's it for the history of strategy, which has been entirely dominated by the verb to compete. What we may have to contend with in future is how we develop strategy in a world that is much more dominated by by a verb like the verb to co-create. Mm. 
And he leaves it at that. But I, I would say collaborative advantage is, in a sense, the book that seeks to try to answer uh, the kinds of questions that that comment raises. And then other books that have impacted me, I suppose creating collaborative advantage always begins with trying to understand other people. Hmm. And so I'm very interested in books that can help me better understand other people and, and how our minds work. So two recommendations. One is a marvelous book by Vincent Deary called How We Are that sort of illuminates what it's like to have a human mind. I mean, he describes very simple things like walking to a local shop to buy milk in such an incredible way that, you know, when you've read it, you suddenly feel twice as alive just from having experienced <laughs> so vividly what it's like to be a human. Um, he has one concept called desire lines, which is a concept to describe the kind of grooves that we try to create in our daily lives to make it easier to go about tasks and to reserve our conscious brains, our conscious thinking for higher order problems. And I think we can find an example of that in, in your own podcast, Jeff, because while you have a different guest for every episode, there is an identifiable format to the show mm. that does make it easier to prepare for the podcast. And as a listener, I know that it also makes it easier for you to work out what kind of headspace to reserve for the show, <laughs> what part of your daily routine it can fit into, what kind of things to expect and so on. And then finally, if you'd like a, a third, there is a book that I've just started recently by Timothy Wilson called Redirect. Now, this is a book that aims to share techniques for helping people achieve sustainable behavior change by changing the stories they tell themselves mm -hmm. about how they're solving particular problems. Now, this means something to me, and I was inspired to, to pick it up because of a, a project a couple of years ago through my Pimp My Cause activities to support a death awareness charity. Now, when we think about bereavement, we typically think of something that is, is inevitable. There's not much we can do about it. It's just horrible. And of course, mm. all, of, all of that is, is true. But this death awareness charity have a, a wonderful phrase where they say, grief is like a deep, dark lake. Don't wait until you've fallen in before you learn how to swim. Mm. And so with uh, the agency Ogilvy that we partnered them with, they developed a program presented through the lens of good grief. And even that phrase, good grief, already enables you to perceive bereavement as something that there is something you can do to exert some agency over it and to extract some kind of meaning that is helpful to you. And they run that program for young people, crucially, before they are affected by bereavement. So it's a much more optimistic program and a more empowering program than waiting until trouble has, has already struck them. And so I think that where Timothy Wilson can share techniques for how we can edit our stories to contend with problems uh, in a better way and see them through a new lens. That's, that's really powerful. And of course, that relates very directly to creating collaborative advantage, mm. because one of the ways you can most sustainably change behavior in any context is by helping people to read their environment differently and identify a different role to play themselves within that environment as a result. You've given me compelling reasons to pick up all three of those books. Uh, if I get any complaint about this show, it's that I, I prompt people to, to spend more money than they ever thought they would on, <laughs> on books. Um, I want to know too, Paul, before I let you go, as someone who does quite a bit of public speaking, what would be some tips that you would be willing to share for, for delivering a talk that's memorable and also going to leave a lasting impact on, on your, your audience? 
Yeah. Um, so as it happens, uh, a friend of mine, the, the TV presenter and coach in the UK, Melissa Porter, uh, has some fantastic advice for people for whom speaking engagements may be outside their comfort zone. Mm. So she says, tune in to your reason for speaking. If you don't have one and it's outside your comfort zone, maybe don't do it. <laughs> and if you do have one, use serving that purpose as the basis for overcoming your fear and anxiety. Mm. I would add a couple of points to that. The first of which is, for me, I would advise it is far more important to work on having something to say than on polishing the, the presentation of that thing. You know, I'm a listener even more than I am a speaker. And if I'm in the audience, I don't turn up to an event hoping to hear a cracking delivery. <laughs> I turn up in my own preference in the hope of hearing some really useful ideas that I can think about. Mm. And with regards to that, one way of having useful ideas to prompt thought is to be a lamp at the door between two communities. In India, uh, in rural, rural dwellings, often have a, a lamp just in front of the dwelling. And if you're inside, it illuminates the outside world if you want to leave and if you're arriving at the dwelling it illuminates inside the dwelling so that you can safely enter and i would say that's a great metaphor for giving good talks if you can be the marketing person speaking to a leadership audience the civil society person addressing a business audience somebody with a business background addressing civil society organizations that can often be um, a great way to provide fantastically useful content which also is is a, is a great embodiment of collaborative advantage in its own right. Well, uh, Paul, finally, I know, I know the book has just come out, or at least it's been out for a couple of months anyway. Um, are you already thinking about, with you and your team, what's next? Mm. Well, at, at the Agency of the Future, we spend most of our time helping leadership teams to understand and define their purpose differently in the light of collaborative advantage and to better mobilize around that purpose outside and inside the organization as a result. And in part in response to demand from the book, we've now developed a workshop program where we can support people in creating collaborative advantage in a compressed amount of time. And then I have the social enterprise that you kindly mentioned, Pimp My Cause, where we run talent development programs that are a sort of living laboratory of collaborative advantage in practice mm. in that they support marketing teams in getting better at marketing <laughs> and creating a positive social impact by being coached through a process of responding to live charity briefs that create great marketing plans for, for the causes um, and enhance the marketer's own experience and own ability to create collaborative advantage. Um, so for any leadership teams looking to create collaborative advantage for your organization or for any marketing leaders looking to enhance the capabilities of your marketing teams, I, I, I'd love you to get in touch. Excellent. Well, I'm enjoying the book. I know others will as well. It's called, again, Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. And his name is Paul Skinner. Paul, thank you again so much for, for taking of your time and, and, and being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's been a, a real pleasure. If you would indeed like to get in touch with Paul, I've made it super simple. I've got links to not only the Agency of Change, but also Pimp My Cause, along with the other resources and links that Paul and I talked about at the show notes page I've created just for this episode. And you'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 230 for episode 230. If, as you're listening to this, we're still inside the month of August 2018, then that means you still have time to join my online book 
Club, Read to Lead University, and get your first 30 days for just a dollar. You can check it out. Make sure you like it. Join us for one of our live chats. In fact, our next one includes a visit by the author himself. Go to readtoleaduniversity.com, and at checkout, just enter the word August to get your first month's membership for just a buck. Remember, it's our sponsors that make a podcast like this possible each and every week. Consider visiting freshbooks.com slash read to lead to take advantage of that free 30-day trial from Fresh Books and to sign up for Chandler Bolt's free training on how to become an author within just 90 days and get a free copy of his book. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Thank <laughs> you.